0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, good morning, Epiphany Church. What a great day it is to be found virtually together. Man, how amazing is that, man? And seeing baptisms still take place, even in the midst of a pandemic, is uh, nothing but the work of the Lord. It's Matthew 28, verse 19, that really drives us as a church, compels us to make sure that we are baptizing. And that verse simply says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. then it goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptism literally does not save you, but it really is an outward expression of an inward change. So shout out to everybody that got baptized. If y'all would do me a favor in the chat room, if you would just give them some hearts in the chat room, uh, let them know that we love them and we are grateful to see them take this this next step uh, of their spiritual formation and their spiritual maturity. Take it so serious. Baptism is very, very serious. Well, I'm glad to worship with you guys today. Psalm 100 says, worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful song. Grateful for the worship team leading us today. And I'm not just grateful for the the worship and for the singing, but I'm grateful for the word of God. So do me a favor. If you'll indulge me, grab your Bibles, your devices, your laptops and Whatever it is that has the Word of God for you, if you could grab it and go back to Romans 11, Romans 11 is where we were last week, and that's where we're going to hang out today uh, as you as you turn there, I want to quickly lay something before you guys, something that's coming up in January, something that if you're familiar with our church, you you probably will um, resonate with this. We are about to go on a corporate fast, a week long fast every Uh, Every year, the first part of the year, the first full week, we try to do a fast together. Uh, This is the first fast that will actually look a little differently. We're actually not even calling it solemn assembly this year. We're calling it Reset 2021. And the reason we're calling it Reset 2021 is because we've had such a crazy 2020 that many of us need to press that reset button it's almost like your, your device. I have my phone here. It's almost like, you know, when your device malfunctions or it's just running slower. One of the first steps in troubleshooting is turning it off so that it resets. And my, my hope and prayer is that uh, the top of January, that is what we'll do is that we'll turn off uh, everything in our lives in order to get connected and dialed into the to, to the word of God uh, and get dialed into God himself. Uh, Isaiah 43 is going to be our foundational chapter, really our foundational verse is going to be, we're going to zoom in on verse 18. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, here it is, I am doing something new. And so at the top of January, we will be seeking, what is that newness that you were doing? So mark these, these dates down in your calendar, your phone, or, or wherever you, you, you keep your, your schedule, January 4th to January 8th. Let me say that again. January 4th, which is a Monday, to January 8th, which is a Friday. That entire week, every night, we will be uh, trying to get together virtually, but we certainly will be shutting down. And we'll, we'll send out some more guidelines for what, um, for what we'll be shutting down. Here's the schedule really quickly. Monday, we're going to have a 6 a.m. Zoom call prayer. 6 a.m., not p.m., 6 a.m. We are going to get up. We're going to wipe the crust out of our eyes, brush our teeths, and we're we're going to get on a Zoom and we're going to just pray for an hour. And then Tuesday, there's a 6 p.m. prayer and cooking. That'll be via IG Live. Tisha will be cooking a simple meal, showing us how to cook it, and hopefully you'll have the ingredients. And then you you also will join along and cook at the same time. And then there's going to be a moment of prayer uh, that she's going to lead us in. Then Wednesday, we're going to have prayer and Bible study, which I'm excited about. That'll be uh, on YouTube and Facebook. And then we'll have a, on Thursday, we'll have a worship playlist creation. Uh, our worship leaders will be getting together, saying their favorite songs, playing their favorite songs, worshiping and singing. And you guys can uh, make sure you add that to your playlist. And then finally, Friday, we'll end the fast together at 6 p.m. At 6 p.m., we will be doing a testimony service. I don't know about y'all, but old school testimony services does something good to my heart. And so we'll be doing a testimony service on Friday, and that is January 8th. So please, please, please dial in. Be ready. It is going to be an amazing time of getting together, uh, and really connecting to the Lord. All right. Romans chapter 11 is where we are. Hey, if you're getting this sermon, it is because it was pre-recorded. And the reason I'm telling you guys that is because uh, I am currently in this moment that you're seeing this, I am suffering for Jesus in sunny Jamaica, 80 degree weather. Uh, no, seriously, I, I I'm there and I am, Uh, conducting or officiating the wedding of Angela and Ashton. So uh, early congratulations to them. I'm saying it today, but by the time you see it, they would have already been married. So congratulations to Ashton and Angela on their wedding. All right. Romans chapter 11. Last week, man, I gave you guys a heavy dose of grace and tried to really highlight what the top part of Romans 11 was saying. Um, And some great stuff happens in the rest of the chapter. We won't finish the chapter today, but won't you pick me up in verse 11? The reading might be a little lengthy, but bear with me. Verse 11 says this. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you as a Gentile, uh, I'm speaking to you as a Gentile, inasmuch that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order that somehow I may make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. That is so important. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance, what will their acceptance mean, but life from the dead? And if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. That's important too. Just hang tight, we'll we'll dig into it. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, And you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in amongst the others and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, if you are, remember, it is not you who supply the root, but the root that supplies you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness of God, the kindness of the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. But even if they were, even if they were, even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Last verse for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, into the cultivating olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in their own olive tree? I want to preach today from the topic entitled Plot Twist. Do me a favor, if you would just type that in the chat room so that people that are coming in will know what we're talking about. Type that in for me, Plot Twist. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray before we uh, dig in. Uh, Father, we are virtually gathering today and we do so dependent on you. Pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. Pray that both ouch and amen would both be present today as we dig into your word. May Christ be seen. May he be felt. May he be heard through this epistle of Paul. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Plot twist. I think it behooves us to make sure that we Define, really work a definition of what a plot twist is. I don't want us to be confused on what an actual plot twist is. Here's the definition. In, in literary, in, in literature and in film and television, a plot twist is an unexpected occurrence or a turn of events in a story that completely changes the direction of the outcome of the plot from the original direction. You gotta understand something about plot twists. Plot twists are invaluable tools for a writer. Without a plot twist, all stories would be predictable. Without a plot twist, I would even go so far as to say stories would be a bit boring. We would know the direction right from the beginning. I can assume that all authors and storytellers have at one time and another throughout their career have utilized and pulled on the suspense of a plot twist Some directors like M. Night Shyamalan heavily rely on plot twists. Let's be honest. Y'all know we did not know Bruce Willis was dead in Sixth Sense until the very end. That was one of the greatest plot twists in any movie. Well, in our passage today in Romans chapter 11, when Paul picks up the pen to write Romans 11, he gets when he picks up the pen to write the book of Romans. When he gets to chapter 11, he does a plot twist. But this plot twist isn't just some ordinary movie. The plot twist that he gives us is the plot twist of redemptive history, a change in what we thought God was actually doing. See, in the beginning, we thought that God was only working through Israel. And here it is, chapter 11, and, and, and Paul is like, no, 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 God actually is working something else. And it's not just with Israel, but even Gentiles are being grafted in. Over the last few chapters, Paul has talked to us about Israel's disobedience and how contrary they were. And as a consequence, many of them were cut off. Now last week we talked about how God's grace kept 7,000 of them and and they were chosen by grace. But the reality is there were some that went so far from God that God let them go. You got to understand something about God. God is so massive. If If he wants to knock you down, he doesn't have to punch you. All God has to do is open his hands and let you go. And many of the Jews that rejected christ thus rejecting god the father were cut off but something beautiful happens god's glory is so massive it that he's like yes I, I i'm gonna cut this group of people that don't believe in my son off but i'm gonna graft in a whole group of people who's that group that he grafts in look at verse 11 with me it says did they meaning israel stumble in order that they might fall he says by no means Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Let me read that again. Through their trespass, Israel's trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. At this point, many Jews have rejected Christ. At at this point, you got to understand something. When Christ walked on the earth, his greatest um, uh, contention was not with the Roman government. His greatest beef was not with the non-religious, but it was the arrogant Jews. It was the disobedient Jews. It was the uh, disbelieving Jews. It was the Pharisees that Jesus got into battles with. It was the Sadducees that Jesus got into battle with. It was the religious elite that Jesus got into battle with. It was those that were part of the Sanhedrin that Jesus got into battles with. With they often opposed Jesus, they were looking for another Messiah, not realizing that God in the flesh was standing before them. It was it was God in the flesh that was with them. In fact, many people will say, well, you know, Jesus not, didn't actually say he was God. I, I would beg to differ. Many times Jesus actually did scream, I am God, fully God. Let me give an example of that. Only God would identify himself in the Old Testament as I am. He, he's too massive for you to sum up who he is. So when Moses was at the burning bush and he's about to go to Pharaoh, God, Moses is like, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, you say to them, I am that I am has sent you. And Jesus, when he walks the earth, he says in the book of John alone, seven times, I am. Let me go through these I am statements and and maybe you can see how hard it is for me to understand how the Jews missed it. How the Jews did not understand that it was God in the flesh that was with them. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He says again in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will Not walk in darkness. He says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved. John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I don't know if you're picking up this I am theme. John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then finally, he says in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus over and over again said, I am the one you are looking for. Yet the Jews missed it. Many Jews did not recognize that their king was standing in front of them. Yet they failed to accept Jesus. And as a consequence, God cut them off. But here's the plot twist. Even though he cut them off, it is almost as though in verse 11 that Paul is saying, look, Jesus' glory is so massive, he can't do without the praises of his people. So therefore, he'll cut off a group of people, but he'll always bring another group back in. Salvation in our text today has been extended to the Gentiles. A group that in the Old Testament had no covenant with God now gets a new covenant with Jesus Christ. Paul is... Like but Paul is like Jesus uh, hit right in this moment that he is giving Jesus what the Jews should have given him. Let me read a passage to you. This is back in chapter nine. Uh, verse 25 says, those who were not my people, I now call my people that, that that's chapter nine of Romans. That's verse 25. There was a group of people that were not my people, but now. They're my people. They're my sons and my daughters. The early church is booming with Gentile converts. These people that were not a part of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, are now being grafted in. Let me put a little bit more Bible here and then we'll make it practical. Acts chapter 28, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known that salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. John chapter... Uh, John chapter 10 says I have other sheep that are not a part of my fold. I bring them in also They will listen to my voice Romans chapter 3 verse 29. He is he not the god of the Gentiles? Here's the answer. Yes Of the Gentiles also This is the greatest plot twist in redemptive history That people that had no access to god now get access to god because of jesus because of Jesus' reach and his blood that was shed on the cross, people that did not have connection now actually have a connection. And what this says to me underneath of verse 11, what, what, is really, what is really being said is we have to be careful of counting people out and thinking that people are too far for God to reach. Do you know how many of the Jews probably were like, no way he reaching out to the Gentiles. But, but God is like, no, but I'm massive enough to do that. And I wonder, I just wonder, who is it in your life that you've looked at and you've said they're too far for God to reach? Who is it that you're like, it's no way that God would want to be in relationship with them. Don't get this twisted. Trust me. The Jews would have said it's no way God would extend salvation to them. Who is it in your life that you have treated like the Jews have treated the Gentiles? Who is it in your life that you said they're too far? They're too trifling. They've been stuck in that sin too long. That sin is too deep as though the cross isn't strong enough to even reach the most deepest sin. Who is it that you've looked at and said that person is way too dysfunctional. It's no way that God will extend salvation to them. But you jumped on this live for me to tell you, if you got breath in your body, you are still alive today. You are a prime candidate to receive salvation if you don't know God because there is not a person walking this earth that is too far for God. I need someone that knows that you should have never been selected that you should have never got salvation. I need you to understand and realize and even move into your house to a place of praise because God did not have to select you, but the same way he extended salvation to the Gentiles, he's extending salvation to your house as well. God can save anybody. Some of us have counted people out as being too far, but no one is too far. Do me a favor. I just want you to get on your mind. Get on your mind that one person, you, not a lot, just just one Get on the mind, your mind that one person That you think is too far For God to save Get that person on your mind that you think Is way out there And do me a favor If you would just write their name down somewhere but just, just be obedient for one second Write their name on in, in your notes In your phone Write it on a journal that's next to you If you put their name in the chat room Only put first name, maybe put some initials Don't put actual full names uh, I don't want our, our chat room to become uh, the place of gossip, but just somewhere around you, just write their name. Right now,'t right, don't, don't wait. Right now, I'm pausing here for you to write down a family member's name. Maybe it's a childhood friend. Maybe it's a, it's a coworker. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're like, look, I just like Epiphany Church. It's kind of cool, but 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 I don't really know this Jesus that they talk and sing about. Maybe it's you. Write your name down. Everybody for a moment. You should have written somebody's name down that you think is too far for God. I don't know why, but I feel a moment to pray for him right now. Like Not later, now. Father, I pray for every single person that is written down, whether they're put into a notebook or put into the notes of their phone, or they, they put a first name in the chat room or initials in the chat room. Father, these names represent people. These people represent souls and eternity that they'll spend somewhere. And so, Father, I thank you, O oh God, that your salvation is so massive that it's not even up to us. If you want us saved, your grace is irresistible. And so, Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would save that uncle now you would save that father now, that you would save that son that seems to be far out now, that you would save that family member now, that you would do a work in somebody's heart right now. And if that person wrote down their own name, Father, would you bring salvation to them right now? What I love about the work of salvation, oh God, is that it's so simple. We talked about it last week. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so, Father, we can receive you by simply opening up our mouths and confessing that Jesus is Lord. And we can do that in our living room and you would save us. And so, Father, I thank you, O oh God, for the work that you will do in the list of names that was written. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. That name that you wrote down, listen, I want you to pray for that name. I want you to call that person after this. Text them and say, hey, I just want to catch up. I just want to talk. And if you could slip in some Jesus, that would be good. The Gentiles just got saved. And I don't know about you, man, but that that does something to my heart. They have full access now that they did not have before. There's something else. There's another little bit of a plot twist that happens here. Pay attention to this. Verse 11. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So to make Israel, watch this word, jealous. Watch this. Verse 13. Now I am speaking to you uh, as a Gentile. It says, "Inasmuch as much as I am a Gentile to the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow I might make my fellow Jews. Here's that word again. Jealous. Paul, what are you saying? Why, why are you saying that the Gentile salvation should bring jealousy to those Jews that walked away? This verse right here is a little bit hard to fathom. It, 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 this, this verse made me pause this week and say, wait a minute, God, what are you saying? God, save the Gentiles to make Jews that walked away jealous. I, I literally felt like that emoji, you know, the brain emoji that poof, where, it, where the brain blows up. That's what I felt like when I read twice that he talks about the jealousy of the Jews. I'm like, God, what are you doing? This is essentially what Paul is saying, that the hardening of Israel is designed to To bring salvation to the Gentiles. But watch this. The salvation of the Gentiles is designed to bring jealousy to Jews that walked away. Let me say that again. The hardening of Israel is designed to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And salvation to the Gentiles is designed to make Israel that walked away jealous. Why would you do this, God? Why is this a part of your redemptive plan? Why are you using jealousy as a tactic to bring people back into you? Because he wants Israel to lay claim to their Messiah. God wants to make good on the covenant that he made with Israel back in the Old Testament with Abraham. God wants to present the Messiah to Jews that were reading the law and parsing uh, the scriptures and looking at the, uh, the Old Testament. to He wants to say Jesus fulfilled that and I can use Gentiles and I can I can use people that were not my people to make them jealous to bring them right on back in. And here's the question that I've been wrestling with the last few days. How can we advance the agenda of God to make people who are not a part of God's body jealous? That's been my question all week. And the reason you want to see people that aren't a part jealous is for one reason and one reason alone for their salvation. I, I don't know if you picked that up, but that's exactly what he says here in verse 14. In order that somehow I might make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save. Some of them. Here it is. What he's saying is that we should live lives that are so attractive that people that walked away from the body will want back in. People who started out professing faith in Jesus that walked away and did their own thing. He wants to make them so jealous through your life and faithfulness to God. He says, I'm gonna use the Gentiles to make them jealous. I don't know why, but I have this picture of Luke 15 in my mind. I don't know if you remember the story in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. In fact, do me a favor. Just go there real quick. If you grab your device and keep your finger or your, your Bible, keep your finger here in Romans and go back to Luke 15. Because in Luke 15, what the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son shows us is that the older brother was sitting on the outside jealous. He was jealous because the younger brother made it back home. In fact, let me read the story because it's a, it's a narrative. It kind of preaches itself. Check this out. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, 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 give me the share of the property that is coming. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son, I don't know if you know the story, gathered all that he had, took a journey to a far country. There he squandered it. Uh, his property on reckless living, reckless living is really is defined as prostitutes if you read the rest of the chapter. So he spent all the money and then finally the younger, the, the, the younger brother is coming back home. He comes to himself. He practices what he's going to say back to his father. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, he felt compassion and ran to him, embraced him and then kissed him. And he said to him, father, I have sinned against you before. You And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, here it is. Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put the best ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fatted calf and kill it. Let's celebrate for this son that was dead is now alive. He was lost and is now found. and They begin to celebrate. Here's the jealousy right here. Now the older brother, the older son. Was in the field and he came and drew near and he came near to the house and he heard music and dancing. He heard D. Nice playing some music. It says, I paraphrase there. It says in verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked, what did, it, what did these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fatted calf. But the older brother was angry. He refused to go in. This is jealousy right here. His father came out and entreated him, telling him to come in. But he answered his father, look, all of these years that I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has come, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. What is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate. He says, for your brother who is dead is alive. In other words, the older brother is sitting on the outside and he's jealous of the younger brother's salvation. He's he's jealous of the younger brother's celebration. He's he's jealous that the younger brother that was lost is now found, similar to the Jews, being jealous of the Gentiles that were lost but are now found. And essentially what he's doing is he's entreating him to come in. Here's Here's what jealousy looks like. When it, as it relates to your walk with the Lord and making others that walked away jealous to come back in, it should look like us sitting outside like the Father and treating them to come in. Baby, I know you walked away. I, I know you see that, that I'm walking faithful with the Lord and you want back in. Please come on back in. God loves you the same way he loves me. And guess what? He'll receive you the same way the Father in Luke 15 received the younger brother that was lost and found and the older religious brother that was like I stayed. Both of them should be inside the party. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in, in Romans 11 and Romans, uh, Romans 11 11, and Romans 11, 13 and 14. He's saying, look, Gentiles got to make them jealous. And the reason that I want him to make, I want them to make them jealous is because I want them to come back to me. It is a tactic. It's an agenda that God is using. But watch this. If you're a Gentile and you're not a Jew and. You were accepted by God. You've received salvation. Paul warns you too. For those of you who were grafted in, those of you who Jesus has accepted and extended salvation to you, watch how he warns us today in verse 18. He says, do not be arrogant. He says again in verse number 20, do not become proud, but fear. Paul says, yes, some of you, some of the Jews got rejected and As a consequence, they were cut off and therefore I brought the Gentiles in. But don't you Gentiles get arrogant because the same way I cut them off is the same way I can cut you off. You got to stay connected to the root. You got to stay connected to where your supply lasts, which is the root. In fact, that's the language that he uses in the rest of the chapter. I don't have time to dig in the rest of the chapter, but I'll say it this way. He uses this aggregarian uh, illustration of a tree, a olive tree, and how God had to cut off some of the branches, which was Israel, and in cutting off some of the branches, which was Israel, He grafted in new branches, which is uh, the Gentiles. That's exactly what He's saying here. In fact, in fact, in verse seventeen, He says, "But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in amongst the others, you now share the nourishing root of the olive tree." Paul literally said. That the branches that were cut off was Israel, but the branches that are grafted in is Gentiles. But watch this. Christ is the root. See, I think the reason we read this stuff and it really doesn't hit us is because we don't understand what grafting in is. We don't understand what it means to be grafted in. That, that's not language we use. That's, we, none of us have, have ever grafted. I, I don't think you have, but most of us, I should say, I know I have never grafted an olive tree, an olive branch. But let me see if I can try to illustrate this point a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it uh, this way. I don't have an olive branch, but let's use our sanctified imagination. And let's pretend this is an olive branch. Here's what, here's what, you can come on a little closer. Here's what Paul is saying when he says that the disobedient Jews that were cut off now allow the Gentiles to be grafted in. He's saying, this is what it looks like. This is an olive branch. And, and, and how you do an olive branch to make sure that it's bearing fruit is the dead parts that are not uh, producing. You just begin to cut them off. And in cutting them off, you allow small incisions into the trunk of the tree. This is all Israel. This is Israel's disobedience. They didn't fall into line with what Christ was doing, so they were cut off. And what grafting in looks like, this is a real, like this is not, this is, this is what grafting in is. What, what it basically is, you take all of the dead ends off, but you take a good Branch from a wild olive notice that the text says that it that the Gentiles were a wild olive branch That means they were not naturally a part of the tree And you begin to take these wild olive branches from other trees and you start To put them in place of where the old branches were and what they would do is I'm using tape here But they would take some type of clay of some sort and they would wrap it around the branch And then they would do it again. Every place that there was a small incision, they would just continue to wrap it around and fulfill the places. Because what's going to happen is these branches now will be supplied by the root. Don't miss who the root is. You just continue to add into the places that were cut off the Gentiles where Israel failed to believe in Jesus and you take these babies up and you just continue to do it there. There's another person that is not a part that I need to bring into the fold. And so I'll bring them in where the non-believing Jews were. And what happens is these now, now are smaller than the rest. But this is spiritual maturity. They will grow and they will only grow. Watch this because they're connected to the root. Remember that the root is Christ. The root in the scripture is Jesus. And this, the, the branches that were now put back into this olive tree are now going to be supplied. And here's what the dopest part of this illustration is. Once they've been grafted in, at some point you can remove the tape. At some point you can remove the clay. And the branches will naturally be a part of the tree as though they grew with the tree The entire time and this is what we get in our passage before us this is what it means when it says that the gentiles were grafted in jesus uses language in john chapter 15 verse 5 like i am the vine and you are the branches if you are remaining in me you will bear much fruit but apart from me you can do nothing can we sit there for a second if you were grafted in you got to understand that the root is your supplies. And many of us all year long, some of us, not all of us, have just been disconnected from being, we're malnutrition because we're not connected to the root. Who is it that's been grafted in? Who, who is it that's received salvation from Jesus but has denied the supplies that the root is able to give? That The roots are able to give you what you need, but we've gone and tried to get it from other places. Paul gives us today a great plot twist. The plot twist that he gives us Shows us that our position in Christ is forever. Once we've been grafted in, we are no longer not a part of the tree. We are a part of the tree now. And the only way that you can be grafted in is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. It is the cross that grafts us in. Nothing else but the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage somebody today to remember those names that you wrote down. I want to encourage you today to get on the phone and call that person. I want to encourage you today to stop looking down on people as though you've made it in based on privilege. You made it in last week by grace. It is only grace that we are able to be saying that we are saved, that we can call God our father. And here's the dopest part. He calls you his son and he calls you his daughter. Father, I pray for everybody that's piped in today. Father, I am grateful that you've extended salvation To the Gentiles, I am grateful for this great plot twist that you did not continue with the status quo. I thank you for your covenant that you've made with Israel. You won't break that covenant, but you've extended through Jesus Christ the ability for every tongue, tribe and nation to now be a part. The reason that Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 will say that we will all be around the throne of Christ, every tongue, tribe and nation. The reason we're there is because of this chapter that you grafted in people that were not yours. And you call them your people. It's in Christ's name I give glory. Amen. Well, man, it was good hanging out with y'all today. I am encouraged by the word of God. I am encouraged by your commitment to the word of God. We'll continue to make our way through the book of Romans. We'll finish chapter uh, 11 uh, the next time I'm with you. So until then, just keep reading it, just keep processing it, but most of all, just keep applying it. I almost felt like Tabitha Brown right there. Don't you go mess up nobody else's day. Won't you receive this doxology that's given to the Lord and then I'll hand it back over to Ty. Now unto him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forevermore. Amen. Grace and peace.